So who's excited? Come on. It's, it's like Christmas Eve, actually like before Christmas. Tomorrow is Christmas. It's the big day. And this evening, the last few things will be tied up. The last details will be settled down. And tonight, for many of you, out of nowhere, gifts will appear under your tree and your stockings will be filled. That's super exciting. And let's be honest for a second, okay? Let's just be honest. I, I know we're in church, but let's be honest. The most exciting thing about tomorrow morning is what's in those gifts. Aren't you excited? I mean, I would be, because all year long you've been waiting. You've been sending clues. You've been writing letters. You've been winking. You've been telling your spouse, no, you get this right this year. It's all been happening, right? And you know tomorrow's a big day because behind that wrapping paper and in those stockings are things waiting that you have longed for. And that's what makes Christmas so exciting. That's why we get all excited on Christmas Eve and we go to bed. We're like, oh, I can't wait for the morning. That's why your kids wake you up at 5.22 a.m., right? It is very exciting. Because the gifts create great anticipation of wonder and discovery that we do not yet realize, but know it's going to be awesome. See, this reality of the excitement of the gifts is actually a perfect picture of what Christmas should be. It really is. It is why we do it. It is the perfect picture of what we should experience as we enter into Christmas Day. And I will tell you that this year, when we are done here together, when we have spent our time together and we head out, it is my belief that this year, it is not what is under the tree that will most bring you wonder. It is not under the tree where you will find the best gifts of Christmas, but this year, it is on the tree that you will find the best gift of Christmas. Right on your tree. And you're going, hold on, I'm super confused. What do you mean? Well, let me explain. And in order to explain this and tell you why on your tree the best gift of Christmas is going to happen, you need to understand a few things about what we understand from God. You see, in the very beginning of time, we kind of have to travel back. In the very beginning of time, when our story first began, God created us into an extraordinary story. This planet we live on, this universe in which we live, our story with one another was created in the very beginning uh, with the intent of us experiencing the full impact and the full reality of love and freedom. That we would exist in a place where we would know the love of God for us to such an extent unobstructed by anything that we would out of that then be able to love one another, enjoy creation, and love God. That is how we were made. In that particular setup, the enemy of God came into our story and he convinced us as a human race through Adam and Eve that though that sounds awesome, that God was actually trying to trick us and keep us from the better story. That that wasn't love, that that was actually control. And that if we would only uh, eat of the fruit that he has forbidden us to eat, because then we will know what he knows, we will be like him and we can be our own bosses, our own gods and pursue our own story, then we will know love. You know what we did? We ate of that fruit through Adam and Eve. And we did not discover love. We did not discover freedom. We did not discover divinity. We discovered exactly what God said we would. We discovered sin and sin brought with it death. 
And here's what that looked like in reality to us. It separated us from an unobstructed, beautiful, free relationship with God where we knew what it was to be loved. On that day, we were separated from the love of God, the experiential love of God, the intimate love of God, and we found ourselves alone. Now, that created a giant trauma in us. In in many ways, the scripture describes it as our souls dying. We died of soul that day because we were separated from God as a human race. And our story began to unfold as we know it today. See, the reason we struggle so much with one another is the result of what occurred during that time. Think of Adam and Eve, right? I mean, beautifully able to love each other. They come out of the garden, didn't go well. Now you know, spouses, that's where it began. And think about the kids. You know why you all fight? You know why you fight with your brothers and sisters all the way through your whole life? Cain and Abel. Think about what happened with them. Didn't go well, right? See, that's been our human story all along. Conflict started measuring everything. Do you know why? Because in our loss of intimacy with God, what we lost was the fact that we were loved. We did not know we were loved anymore. So because you don't know that you're loved, you don't know that you belong. And because you don't know that you belong, you don't know that you matter. Did you know that? You and I struggle every day. Do I matter? Do I belong? Am I loved? So you know what you do? You work your entire life tirelessly to convince yourself that you're loved by others by extracting from them whatever you can so that they can tell you you're loved. Isn't that awesome? So what you need most of all is unconditional love from people that can't unconditionally love you. And they need most of all from you unconditional love that you can't give them. Isn't that awesome? That is not a great place to be. All of us, all of us as human beings cannot love unconditionally. You know that? And you say, no, I can I can, I know, you just got married. It's so sweet. Give it a year. (laughs) I know. That baby is beautiful. I get it. Give it 10. Right? Look, here's the deal. We say we love unconditionally because we have this feeling in us that those that are closest to us, our our kids, our, our spouses, our best friends, we will love them unconditionally. But you know why you say that? You know why I say that? Because as of right now, they are still behaving in a way that they are not constantly, unrelentingly antagonistic against you. See, if any human being, your child, your, your spouse, your best friend, started living as your enemy every day unrelentingly, you would give it a year tops, maybe two, and you would give up. Now you'd say, I still love them secretly in deep inside of me somewhere where I can't tell, but I don't feel that way. Because we need to be loved, and because we need to be loved, we live our lives unable to love unconditionally. And this is our lot. This is our journey. Until us said, oh, no, 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 no. I am going to show you things that will make what you experienced in the garden look like that isn't as good. I'm going to show you a love that will expand beyond what you first experienced as a humanity in the garden. Because you see, in the garden, we experienced God's love freely, but we were also right with God. So, in some ways, you could argue, well, I'm right with God and He loves me, but how would I know that God's love for me is not conditional? Because right now the conditions are perfect, right? I love him, he loves me, we love each other, so cool. And I even love the lady that's next to me, or the guy that's next to me. Adam and Eve were so in love, it's so beautiful. And so, look, it makes sense, but now, now we're no longer friends with God. 
See, what the Bible begins to describe is a conflict that just didn't happen between us as humans, but between us and God. We started pursuing everything we could other than God. And we are described in Scripture as the enemies of God. Ungodly. What a powerful word. You know what happens in the Old Testament? Throughout the Old Testament, you start hearing God begin to whisper to us, Listen, I I shouldn't love you, but I am going to love you with an everlasting love. Despite what you're doing, despite who you are, despite being my enemy, I am going to love you with an everlasting love. Now, he demonstrates it throughout the Old Testament in little ways. We kind of catch glimpses of it. We're like, wow, that's pretty cool. But we keep behaving so crazy and, 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 and erratic that you, you can't really tell what's going on. Until a particular event takes place. On a particular day in a little town, Nazareth, an angel shows up. His name's Gabriel. And he speaks with a young girl named Mary. And he says to her, supernaturally in your womb, God is going to conceive a child. And this child is going to change everything. This child is going to embody all the promises of God, everything you've discovered of God so far. This child is going to do things that are going to blow your mind. And then, you know, because you know the Christmas story, Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem. Angels show up to the shepherds and they're like, go right now. Do you know who's born in Bethlehem? Do you have any idea? Go, 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 go. You don't read it quite like that, but I'm sure it happened that way. And off the shepherds go and they go see this child. And then the guys from a long distance away from a far eastern space follow a star. And they show up. Why? Why all of this? Because in that moment, in that event, God's talk about loving us everlastingly and the small demonstrations in the Old Testament of how he does that suddenly end and it becomes an active, unapologetic declaration to the world. Now you will know that despite everything you are, I will love you actively and give myself for you. Do you know that the New Testament authors, after the birth of Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection, they write about the implications of what happens at the birth of Jesus and what then happened and transpired from there. Listen to what they say. Um, in In the book of Romans, this begins to be very telling as far as what occurred. Romans chapter 5, in verse 1, it says, Therefore... Since we have been justified or made right by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at this. This is how that peace came. Look at this. Verse 6. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now we don't use the word ungodly when we're happy with someone, do we? Oh, you're so cutely ungodly today. We don't look at our little three-year-old like, oh, look how ungodly they are. We're usually doing that when we're like, what are you doing? The word ungodly is the opposite of godliness. It is, by definition, the word that says you are against everything that is God. You are against God. While we were against God, God came for us. Now look at this. Look what it says. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one might dare even to die. So there's our version of love, right? 
if you have the right set of conditions toward me, I might actually die for you because you're awesome and I'm awesome and we love each other. But that's conditional. You see what God says is this, look at this. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, God's enemies, Christ died for us. In the book of Ephesians, Paul will write, and he'll write these words, that you and I were dead in our sins and our trespasses in which we walked following the course of this world. We were among those who lived in disobedience, enemies of God, children of wrath, and then in verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ. For it is by grace that we have been saved. Listen to this. In 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, the author of, uh, of this book, Peter, writes about the implications of the birth, life, and death and resurrection of Jesus to who we now are. And he says, look, once you didn't belong, once you didn't matter, once it didn't seem like you were loved, but now that you know you are loved, take a look at this. Listen to this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, the story of Jesus is the story of us receiving the mercy of God, receiving the unconditional love of God, receiving the active love of God that should not happen because not only were the conditions not fantastic, they were terrible. You and I were the opposite of the kinds of people God ought to love. And yet he loved us. And yet he loved us. See, when we go through our lives and we encounter the circumstances of our lives, the, the resources that we get to play with, the relationships we get to collide with, when we do that, those things measure the way we feel and think. They tell us things about ourselves and we wrestle. But when we encounter the story of God and it speaks to us and says, no, 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 no. Regardless of circumstance or relational dynamic or resource struggle, God's love for you is unconditional. That heals the trauma in our soul and brings us back to life. Do you know that there's actually studies done that when children are removed from their biological parents at birth, that they live the rest of their lives wondering if they're loved, struggling with whether they matter, trying to figure out whether they belong. They don't even have memory, but it affects us. And when we were separated from God, this is how we live. This is how we live until we encounter God in his fullness and he says, no, no, no. You never lost me because I came for you. Because I came for you. Throughout the Christmas season, if you've been with us, you know that we've talked about the hope that is found in the Christmas story. We've talked about the joy that is found in the Christmas story. We've talked about the peace that is found in the Christmas story. And with each of those, we have shared with you a story of someone in our community that collided with God's story and discovered hope, joy, and peace. But greater than all of those, is the moment that we discover that we are loved. I want to share with you a story now of one in our community 
that discovered what it is to be loved of God in some circumstances that honestly should have undone him and his wife. But their story becomes the story that demonstrates God's unconditional love despite circumstance, demonstrating to us that he loves us beyond our wildest imagination and bringing healing to our souls. Listen to Jim and Nancy's story. I spent many a weeks up here. Yes, <laughs> many a weeks. Um, probably how many days altogether? About 30 About some. 40, 40 some. Yeah. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> Ready? It started about four and a half years ago, and I had a chronic cough that just would not go away. Finally, I went to the doctor. I knew something was wrong when we did the ultrasound because the, the technician wouldn't say anything. We went and had a CT scan done. They immediately admitted me, and the next day started chemotherapy. I was set back, but I thought, you know, people get cured. You know, there's, there's been cures in the past. I grew up in a family of six, and my dad was the type of person that, he was the old school. He never said, I love you. I always had a low self-esteem of myself, so I always struggled with being loved. Before they started the chemo, we had the elders come in from the church to pray for us. They asked me what I wanted prayer for, and the first thing I thought of was, I don't want prayer necessarily for healing, but I needed to know that God still loved me. So that's what they prayed for. And over time, um, God answered that. After the diagnosis, I did get the chemo, which helped immensely. It lasted probably eight months and it came back. And at that point, I thought, you know, I'm gonna try natural therapy. So we went to Mexico for three weeks and did the Gerson therapy. One of the requirements was that our, our home be spotless and that we had everything set up and ready to go so that when we got home, he could start juicing that first day. So while we were in Tijuana, a group of people from Mosaic, uh, our missional community and others, came to our house, cleaned our house from top to bottom, prepared the juices so that we could walk in the door and get ready. Mm. It was amazing to us that people stepped in. Yeah, it was a blessing, a real blessing. Another way that we were demonstrated God's love for us, you know, was through his people. my cancer was growing and it grew super fast. My doctor said the only way that we're going to get rid of this is to have a bone marrow transplant. Took uh, a month stay in the hospital 
it was pretty grueling. There was one day it went during the bone marrow transplant that I was desperately wanting to hear from God. I ended up uh, listening to a Chris Rice song, and one of the lines in the song was, you're right here. It's just at that moment, I knew that God was right here. God, he is closer than your breath. You know, he, he never leaves you. He's always there. In those moments of pain and anguish, I know he's there and I'll never doubt that. What we feel as an absence of God is not an absence of God. It's our own feelings. And I can't let my feelings determine what I believe. Faith out trumps my feelings. I started getting a, a slide in my foot, my hand, I couldn't write my name any longer. So we had an MRI, it mastitized to my brain. After full brain radiation, I lost all my taste, my sense of smell, uh, all that was gone. A year later, here I am, you know, still uh, walking, talking. To me, I think God has given me this time uh, for me to use it. You know, I told him once, I said, whatever you want me to do, God, I'll, I'll do it. So that opened up doors for me to speak to the youth, and it, it really changed my life. You know, I hate cancer, but I'm telling you, it's drawn me closer to God than I ever would have had it not happened. In four years, God has shown you so many times oh, over my. that he loves you. Yeah, yeah. I would uh, walk the dog up here, you know, daily pretty much. And I'd come home and I'd tell Nance, I said, oh, they put a slab underneath my bench. And then I said, they're really fixing up the park. They're planting trees. And here, uh, all the time, she thought, he knows, he knows. All along, it was a dedication for me. So she had the tree planted in my name and the bench dedicated uh, to me. I was blown away that day because it was a total shock, total surprise. I thought a few people would show up to celebrate the bench in mm -hmm. your honor, and um, over 100 people were here to... 140. <laughs> 140. Yeah. We're here to, to say that they loved you. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. It's just another example of how good God is to me. When I saw these ornaments that said, you are loved, I, I had to get them. I was sitting here, and there's a, a gal that walks her dog. We might even see her today. And she said, uh, isn't it neat that somebody put a plaque in the tree? And I said, oh, there's a story behind that. <laughs> and uh, we were sitting right here, and I said, in fact, this bench was dedicated to me. She stops and she goes, you're Jim Bartram? And she said, I come by here every day and I see that plaque and I, I recite the verse in Jim Bartram and it says, 
who believes, it's present tense. She said, he must not be dead. And I said, no, I'm still alive. She, she recited the, the verse that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Renaud stood here during the dedication and he said, you know, someday, years from now, people are gonna read this and they're gonna know God's love. And it was so cool that God allowed me to see that. To me, that's God's kindness. You know, He is such a kind and, and good God. God loves us too much to just take us to heaven. You know, I look forward to heaven, but it's not the whole purpose of, of this journey. God put heaven in our hearts. He put eternity in our hearts so that we can love on this earth and share God's love and live out the gospel. My hope is in Him. All my hope is in Christ because He's my Savior, my God, and the one that I love. And I know He loves me. Anything to add? On October 31st at 9.25 p.m. of this year, Jim left this planet. A few weeks before he did, I sat with him, as I had a couple times, and I said to Jim, Jim, if, if you could go back four years, and instead of encountering this disease and having it do what it's done, would you, if God said, I'm going to undo that, and you just go about your life as you have been, and you live out to a ripe old age and let it play out as it does, would you do it? You know what Jim said to me? He said, this journey of cancer has taken everything from me that this earth offers. At that point, taste and other things were gone. But he said, it has given me what I longed for my whole life, that I would know that God loves me. So no, I would never go back and I would never change it. Jim had done this video and he knew that we were going to watch it on Christmas Eve so you can imagine how much I've been waiting for this day because I've known the entire time and watching Jim's face when I would chat with him and say, you know, it's coming and he would say, tell them that God loves them because I know he loves me. See, this, this is the great gift of God. This is the great gift of God and Christmas amplifies that and says, don't you get it? You are loved. And because you know you are loved, now you can love. See, because when we know we're loved, then our ability to begin to learn to love unconditionally begins in us. We cannot love until we know we are loved, and we cannot know we are loved until God loves us fully. So now you're starting to catch it, aren't you? I told you the best gift this Christmas would not be under the tree. It would be on the tree. So as you leave here today, as you head out, we have had hundreds and hundreds of these made. And each family will take one of these with you when you leave. And today, tonight, you will go home and you will go onto your tree and you will find a space where you hang this just high enough where the cats and the toddlers can't touch it <laughs> and just low enough where it is visible. And throughout the day tomorrow, every time you see it, 
you will stop in your tracks as I will. And in the middle of the hustle and the bustle and the presence and the gifts and the excitement and the food and the fun and the friends and the people, you will see it and you will stop and you will remember the greatest gift of Christmas is this, that God unapologetically, actively declared to you and I through the coming of Jesus, you are loved unconditionally. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you that we discover in your revealed word that we are not alone, that we are not abandoned, that we are not left to ourselves, that we do belong, that we do matter to you because you love us. Help us this Christmas through Jim's story and through the story of Christmas and the coming of Jesus to know that we know that we know that we know that we are loved regardless of what we've done or what we think or what we haven't done, regardless of our stories, our past, our present, our behaviors, that you love us, not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it, not because we have conditioned it, but because you love us unconditionally. May our journey this Christmas take us into the beginnings of a new discovery of how wide and how deep and how big your love really is. That we might find healing of soul. That you might see us become people that are capable of loving because you have loved us first. Thank you that tomorrow we will know again that you love us. We are forever grateful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.